Good morning, church. I don't know whether to say thanks to Jansen for that or what. Listen, to the preacher's like prison. I don't know. But I do thank you for leading us, Jansen. I actually had the blessing. I'd just say I love speaking out the giftedness of our people. I had the opportunity to, uh, to watch uh, Jansen help a uh, high school uh, choir uh, do their uh, Christmas performance. It was, it was amazing. And uh, well, I guess it wasn't Christmas. It was just the, the performance there. But if you think he can lead worship well, wait till you hear him do Bohemian Rhapsody and a Queen medley at the end of the thing. It was amazing. So thank you. You, you bust on me. I'm going to bless you, brother. Seriously, it is wonderful to be with you. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Uh, I mean this from the depths of my heart. One of the things I'm so incredibly grateful for is you. Uh, I love being part of a congregation where we say to anybody, if you're just visiting us, we are not perfect. We don't have it all together, but we do love each other, and we're trying to follow this Jesus guy. And so it's wonderful to be with you. We celebrate Thanksgiving with you. If you are visiting with us, my name is Dean Barham, and I am delighted and honored to serve as the lead minister of this congregation. And we just want to welcome you here. We do have a welcome center. I encourage you to come and spend time with us uh, after, before you head home, spend the rest of your holiday. I was thinking about what would be good for a Thanksgiving celebration as we come towards the end of our semester. We've studied this semester the incredible gift, promise, and power of God's Holy Spirit. I thought it might be good. We finished the series we were doing looking at the Holy Spirit from one book in the New Testament, maybe it'd be good to do one more look at the Holy Spirit from a passage in the Old Testament and let it be part of the reason for our gratitude this year. That's what we're going to do. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, I encourage you to turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. We're going to pick up in verse 24, and you find this in a setting in the book at a time in Israel's history, the people of God called the exile. They've rebelled from God, they've pushed God away in such a way that God allows them to be taken captive in foreign nations by pagan armies and enemies. But right in the middle of all of that is this staggering promise. So we're going to read that now. If you would please stand out of respect for God, a simple gesture that we do to say thank you to a God who reveals the Lord's self to us. You see the words on the screen after we finish, I will lead us in. It's the word of the Lord from Ezekiel 36, verse 24. God's promise. I will take you out of the nations, and I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your stubborn heart of stone. And give you a responsive heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. And be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live. In the land I gave your ancestors, you will be my people. And I will be your God. Skipping down to the end of that section in verse 36. Then the nations around you that remain will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt what was destroyed. And have replanted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken. And I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Pray with me. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
As we kind of wrap up this weekend of Thanksgiving, I want to invite you to recall moments of what I call grateful surprise. Moments of grateful surprise. Think about this. You know, especially leading up to the season we're about to enter, there are certain gifts that we have that we expect, or at least that we hope for. Uh, This is a time where it's common for us and families to make out a Christmas wish list and exchange it with each other. As children, we'll write out a letter to Santa Claus and tell Santa what it is that we want. And when we get those, we're delighted, but they were expected. But you know, there are times when the gift and the grace comes entirely unexpectedly. And sometimes it's in the times we need them the most. When I think about this, I'm reminded of one particular Sunday morning. It's etched in my memory. I was probably eight or nine years old, and once again, it was common, kind of common when I was a child, I acted up at church. Might be a surprise to you, but I had quite a bit of energy as a little boy, and I would often express that in ways that were probably not the ways I was supposed to do it. I don't think this is what happened this particular Sunday, but this is an example. My friend Chad and I loved to just kind of pull pranks. And we had a part of the building that had a long stairway going up into the classroom area, but underneath that stairway was a a little bathroom. And the guy's bathroom there had one stall and one urinal, one stall in there. And I'm ashamed to admit this, but we liked when, when Mr. Goings would go in there. He was a guy, we loved him, but we picked on him. When he would go in there and he would lock him, he would get in the stall, uh, Chad and I would put our hand in there and turn the light off and run. (laughs) I mean, we did horrible little things. I mean, this was, it was worse than that on that particular day. I don't remember what it was, but I did something. And I knew that as we were driving home, my father made it clear that I was going to get what I deserved, which was a spank. And I know people punish in different ways. I'm just telling you, my father had different ways of punishing us, but they were always just, and I always deserved it. And on this particular Sunday, sometimes I would argue and I would debate and I would beg for whatever. And this time, I was just scared and resigned. I knew it was going to happen. And we got home and I walked upstairs and I sat down on the side of the bed and I just waited. (laughs) I waited for 15 minutes. It was 20 minutes. It was like, it felt like forever. And then my father walks by my room and looks at me and he said, what are you waiting for? Little tear in my eye said, by spanking. And this big old smile broke out in his face, and he said, not today, son. And I don't know to this day whether it was he forgot <laughs> or it was an intentional moment of grace. Either way, I took it, right? We've had these times when we experience these grateful moments that are surprises to us, unexpected and undeserved. Now, that's just a silly example, but when we come to the story in this text in Ezekiel, I want you to know this is one of those moments on a staggeringly larger scale. Because this is a moment of unforeseen, unexpected, and absolutely undeserved grace that God will give them. Because this promise that we just read comes in the context of a very deep and convicting rebuke of the people of God for their rebellion. And it is in that very place that God gives a pretty incredible promise. And as we begin to explore this uh, passage here, I want us to think for a moment the shocking nature of the gift. For us to really appreciate the shocking nature of the gift, we have to appreciate the ugliness of the moment. 
I don't know if you've seen these dog shows before, but every year they have a, a dog show for the ugliest dog contest and they win. The tagline is, they're so ugly they're cute. I would debate that. I'm just telling you, that's me. But when we come to the story, I want to say there's nothing adorable, there is nothing cute about the ugliness of the people of God in this moment of history. And in order to appreciate the staggering, surprising nature of the gift, we have to really appreciate the ugliness of where the people of God are at this moment. Here's a way to think about what's going on in the book of Ezekiel. And really the setting of what we know is the exile. God has always intended the people of God, and in the Old Testament, this really focuses on Israel. God intends for the people of God to live in such a way that they honor God's name in the world around them. Do you follow me? Yeah, God says all the way back when he gave the law in the book of Exodus, he said, you're going to be a kingdom of priests to me. You're going to represent me to the world. So God's intent for the Lord's people And Israel in the Old Testament has always been to honor the name of God, to bring glory to the name of God, to bring fame and good reputation to the name of God to the world around them. Wow. (laughs) Yes, Father, I'm trying. I'm doing my best. (laughs) Haven't done this in a while. I want to bring it down a little bit. Um, I I remember years ago, uh, a, a preacher I really looked up to When the sound went weird, he took that as an opportunity to thank our sound people. I do want to do that because the only time we think about our sound folks is when things go weird. I appreciate you all very much. Please don't do that again. Um, (laughs) Just playing, just playing. Where where in the world were we? (laughs) All right. So the intent of God is that the people of God would bring honor to the Lord's name in the world around them. And here's the problem in this particular time known as the exile. The exact opposite has happened. Let me give you a couple of words that the text gives us where God is kind of holding up a mirror to them and saying, I'm not trying to shame you, but I want to show you the ugliness of where you are right now. The first one comes in verse 23 where he says, hear the opposite of God's intent. You have profaned my name to the people around you. Remember, the intent of, of the Lord's people has always been to bring honor to the name of God in the way that they live, in the way they interact with each other, in the way they interact with the world around them. And he said, instead, you profaned my name. And the pagans are looking at the people of God and saying, can you, can you believe that? Even more striking, the language of the ugliness of God, if you look in verse 32, God says what parents say to kids sometimes. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Like It literally says that in verse 32. God says, be ashamed and disgraced. Now, if you're like me, sometimes I have this cosmic cop picture of the Lord, and, it, and, and it's hard to hear verses like this. Understand this. God is not trying to beat them up. He's trying to open them up to gratitude. And in order to do that, they need to see their ugliness for a moment. Do you get me? He's not trying to heap upon them guilt or toxic shame or anything like that. He's trying to open their eyes. And he said, you're living in such a way that you ought to be ashamed and disgraced by the way you're going. Did you know that's actually a helpful practice in our lives from time to time? You know, there's even rhythms in the church year. We're about to enter a season that is like that. There are two seasons in the rhythm of the church year, historically, that follows the life of Jesus. There are seasons of preparation. One is the the weeks leading up to Easter. The other one we're about to start next week. It's called Advent, which is preparing for the arrival 
of Jesus, not just now, but in the second coming. And both of those seasons invite us to do what this text is doing. Take a look in the mirror and listen to me. This is really important. Not for shame or guilt, but just for honesty to own the places of ugliness in our lives. Is that fair? And I don't know if you've done this before, but I think it's helpful from time to time to just let the unbelievably undeserving nature of the love of God sink in upon us. You know what I'm talking about? Just every now and then, just let it sink in for a moment. Just how unbelievably undeserving the love and the grace of God is for us. When I was thinking about this in this passage, I was reminded of an experience that I had some years ago now, and I was doing some work with a counselor. And I've told you before, I lost my father at an early age, and one of the things they did, I'm sure uh, this is a powerful thing, you talk to Sean if this would be helpful to you in some way, but we did the thing called a psychodrama, where you kind of act out something to work through some things. And we had a moment where I got to talk to my father, it was a person representing my dad. And, you know, for me, I'm not going to overthink things, and it sounded really corny, but when I got into it, it was really helpful. It was all sorts of things. I remember one particular time it was really powerful as I'm talking to the person representing my dad, and I'm just telling him all the things I'd love to have just a simple conversation with him about. I'm telling him about his grandkids. You'd be so proud of Christine. You'd be so proud of David. You'd be so proud of Luke. And, and I just had this conversation. I know I could kind of do that, but it was just, it was powerful in that moment. But the part that really stuck with me, there was a moment, this had, this had been after one of the darkest seasons of my life, I took a moment to talk to the one representing my father, and I said this to him. I just want to say I'm sorry for all the times and ways I've dishonored your name. It was a meaningful thing. My father gave me his name, and I've dishonored it in different ways in my life. Again, not for guilt or shame. There was something powerful, and this is a guy representing my human father. How much more meaningful might it be to say every now and then, Heavenly Father, I want to own the ugliness in my life, in the church's life, in the brokenness in the world. That's what God's doing here in this moment. By the way, it's not just individual. We know this, not just in Israel in the past, but for 2,000 years, we do have to admit that the church has had some disgraceful moments, have they not? And sometimes the church has made it incredibly difficult for the people who need the church most to find themselves welcome here. Can we just own the ugliness of that? Sometimes the people that, that are struggling the most find the church to be incredibly judgmental. Sometimes the church or, or the people in the world that, that have been subject to complete shame and conflict and brutality come into the church and they find conflict, more conflict in the church than they do outside. Conflict with each other, conflict with other churches, and they'll hear language like the culture wars that the church is battling against the world, and they're tired of the conflict of that. We've made it hard. Don't we own the ugliness of that? And although throughout history the church has done far more good than bad, we do have to own the fact that sometimes the church has ignored the people that are most needy, the most broken, the most poor, the most marginalized by society, and we've made it hard. And again, this is not a shaming moment. It's just an honesty moment to say, as they did in the text, God says... In order to understand and to appreciate the staggering nature of the gift of God, we have to own the ugliness in their time and in ours. And then we come in the text with that understanding to this incredibly shocking gift and promise. What is the shocking gift? It is precisely in the moment of their greatest ugliness that God gives them the greatest gift. 
You take that in? It is precisely in the moment of their greatest ugliness that God promises and, and offers them the greatest gift. This whole semester, we've been focusing on the greatest gift God ever gives is the gift of God's own self. And God is promising to give the gift of the Lord's Holy Spirit among God's people to accept them, to get them to belong, and to change them. And it is in the mo moments we need it most that we get that shocking gift. Now, we're going to unpack this a little bit. I'm going to share some things. But really what I want to do here for just a little chunk of time is what I was hoping to do this whole series, and then honestly, I talked too much. <laughs> and there's a lot of content that I wanted to cover. So here's what I want to do. I want to give us a moment just in this text to let the Holy Spirit talk to you and really through you for a moment. So you put up the slide, uh, uh, Joel. I shared this with you before. This is a great screenshot moment if you want to... Uh, it didn't take a picture of this the first time. I talked about two different ways that for me personally have been most helpful in my own study of the Bible or appreciation of the Bible. Two different ways. One, you find if you want to go to the Welcome Center and pick up our little bookmarks. When I'm studying Scripture, my favorite way to study Scripture is what we call Discovery Bible Study. And there's four questions to approach any text of Scripture that will transform your life. I'll leave that for another time. But, but in order to take in Scripture, to, like, to take it deep inside of me, there's an ancient practice known as sacred reading. If you want to throw Latin terms around to impress, impress people, it's called Lectio Divina. But it's just sacred reading. It, it's reading Scripture to take it in. It's a more devotional reading, but it's a way to take it in. And, and we talked about this before, but I just want to practice this with you. We'll do a little part here, then we'll finish. Uh, with this. But here's a way to do it. You take a, a, a little chunk of scripture and you just take it in. And you do four times. Again, there's Latin terms for this, but I'm going to make it easy. You just read it. Just read it and hear it. Read it out loud. And then the second time you reflect. You might even add the word repeat. Reflect and repeat. I mentioned this before. It helped me to learn that in Jewish history, when they talked about meditation, which seemed really hard and like mystical to me, meditation for them just meant they took a little word or phrase and repeated it. They meditated. They chewed on it spiritually like a cow chews its cud you just kind of take it in right so we're going to do that for a moment we listen for one word or one phrase and just repeat that in our mind then what you can do is after you've done that you read it again and then just turn that into like a one sentence prayer it doesn't have to be long and again we'll do that last part at the end and and then just rest in the lord's presence you know there's certain times in any relationship words are enough We've talked enough, we just need to be, and that's what we can do in prayer. So it's a beautiful, simple way you can take any scripture and take it in. So I want to do this, just the, the first part. We've already read it once. I want to do the reflect part here, and I want to do it twice here. So this isn't you reading. I want you to listen. So don't look at your Bible. I want you to listen. You close your eyes if it's helpful. I'm going to read this text twice. I'm going to break up. I do this often. I'm going to break up the reflect thing into two movements. The first time I'm going to read it, I'm just going to read it. I'm going to ask you to listen for just one word. Let one word grab you. I'm just praying now, Holy Spirit, let that one word just sit on you. And when you hear that word, forget the rest of it, even if I'm still reading. Just repeat it quietly in your mind. Just let it sink in. And then I'll read it again, and then you'll listen for a phrase. There's, it may or may not contain that word. Does that make sense? Real simple. I'm just going to read it and let the Holy Spirit speak here for a moment. And uh, again, we're trying this. We'll see if this, this blesses you. So close your eyes and just listen. I'm going to read this text. At this point, listen for just one word. This is God's promise to the Lord's people. I will take you out of the nations, and I will gather you and bring you back. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. 
I will remove from you your stubborn heart of stone and give you a responsive heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. I'm going to experiment here for a moment. I'd love to hear from a couple of you. All you got to do is say one word. There's no commentary here. You're not preaching. What word did you hear? I'd love to hear a couple of you share this with me. What word did you hear in that reading? Louder? Stubborn. Stubborn. Yeah. Is this not true? Sometimes I got to own the ugliness of my, is I'm stubborn. I want to go my way. And God's saying, come over here. And God says, I'm going to take the stubbornness out of you. What a gift. What's another word that you heard that, that's different than that one? What? I'm sorry, again? Save? Save? Plan? Cleanse, thank you, sorry. I need, to, I need to memorize the text and I'll know it when you're saying it. Cleanse. I told you, this is hard. Experiment with me here. Cleanse, right? Are there times that you just feel the ugliness in your life? And God says, part of my promise is that I'm going to clean you. Remember, this isn't just individually. Have you ever felt that as a family, as a church, as a community? He said, I'm going to cleanse the whole community of the Lord's people. By the way, this is a great thing you can do in a small group, you can do with a family. Here's what I often say, the word you heard might be the word somebody else needs to hear. All right, loud and proud, what's another word you heard? Gather, I love that one, right? There are times that you feel scattered, sometimes it's physically that way, sometimes it's emotionally that way. God is the one who gathers back. Don't you think about the New Testament passage here where Jesus says, I long Jerusalem to gather you together as a mother hen does her chicks. And you weren't willing. Why? Because you were stubborn. You see how that comes together. But the Lord says, I'm not giving up on this. Yeah. What else? New, right? New. I love new things. After, what was it, Melanie? Since 2006, we never got a new TV. And we finally gave in to Black Friday and got a cheap, but it was a... Big old TV, and it's awesome. Thank you, Luke, for setting it up. New, there's something about just new stuff. But what if the newness isn't just things that we have and they get old? God says, I'm going to renew you and your entire community. How about one more? What's another word you heard? What? I'm sorry, I'm terrible. Impurity, yes. I'm going to take those impurities out, right? Don't you ever feel divided sometimes? Like Paul says in Romans 7, like part of me wants to be all in and part of me doesn't and I'm tired of this battle. God says, I'm going to take the impurities out. I'm going to make you wholehearted in your pursuit and devotion. All right, let's read it again. This time, listen for a phrase, just a few words. It may or may not contain the word you heard the first time. The Holy Spirit might point out something else, right? So let's, let's read it again. Just listen for a phrase. Here's the promise of God. I will take you out of the nations and I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your stubborn heart of stone and I will give you a responsive heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live. In the land I gave your ancestors, you will be my people and I will be your God. I, the Lord, have spoken 
and I will do it. All right, bear with me because I'm apparently hard of hearing. What phrase did you hear that time? You will be clean. Listen, these aren't just positive thinking, right? Did you get tired of the little, it's not the little poster with a cat on the wall. The Lord God says you will be clean. I believe there are some people in the room that needed to hear you say that word out to us because some of you don't believe it's possible anymore. Some of you believe that you will be tainted and dirty your whole life. Not true. Hear the word of the Lord. You will be clean when the Spirit of God comes in your life. Isn't that powerful? What's another phrase you heard? Say again. One more time. Louder. I will cleanse your impurity. Now God, and only God can do that, and he's going to provide a way, and we'll find out. They have no idea. This is one of the examples in the Old Testament where it says the prophets are speaking about things. They have no idea how God's going to do it. And this is, again, remember, this is in the season when they are in an extended national time out for their rebellion, and God says, I'm going to cleanse all the impurity that put you there. If you've ever been in a place of desperation and hopelessness, and you think, is there any way I can get out of this? The Lord God says, yeah, I'm going to clean the stuff that, that puts you here. Another phrase. I will give you a new life. You hear that? Remember, we said the backdrop of the whole series we just did. Jesus didn't come to inflict you with a new religion and, and hoops to jump through. He says in John 10, 10, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. That's his intent. And God says, I didn't come just to give you a religion. I came to give you life, and I'm going to show you how to do it. I'm going to empower that life in you. Isn't that glorious? Another phrase. Say again. I will give you a new spirit. Again, think about how, can you imagine what it would be like to have a foreign nation come and take us away? And think, even the, the folks that shared this, take the best and brightest of you into the Middle East somewhere and lock you in a cave. Can you imagine the spirit in people like that? You're devastated, you're hopeless. Can we ever get out of this? God says, I'm going to implant a new spirit of power and wonder and adventure and hope in you. Isn't that glorious? One more phrase again you will be my people have you ever had moments I've, tr I've tried out for teams before and I didn't make a team and it hurt maybe even some of here just like this is why I like doing this but maybe the Holy Spirit wanted me to say this there are some of you in a church as wonderful as this that still feel like an outsider sometimes I'm sorry sometimes we can love each other so much we have relationships we're so comfortable with that we forget that there are people that don't feel that hear me whether we've extended it or not well enough, just know this. You are promised to be part of the people of the God of all creation. You belong. Isn't that glorious? Oh, this is a fun way to do this. We're going to do this again sometime. You did that too well. I tell people you did the problem of competency, which means I will ask you to do it again. Um, all right, I'm going, to re I'm going to read this one more time, and, and we'll finish up with a couple things here quickly, but I, I just want you to do this third one. We'll come back to the rest one at the end. But I'm going to read it one more time, and take whatever word or phrase that sat with you before or maybe in this next reading and turn it into a one-sentence prayer. Just give like 20 seconds. Just turn it into a one-sentence prayer. Isn't this a great way? Like, I used to study the Bible like i got to get points to go out and like know stuff. Just turn it into conversation with the Lord. All right, so I'm going to read one more time. Whatever word or phrase you get, turn it into a one-sentence prayer in silence, and then we'll do a couple things and be done.
Hear the promise of the Lord. I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your stubborn heart of stone and give you a responsive heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. Take 20 or 30 seconds. Just turn that one phrase or word into a one or two sentence prayer to God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Quickly, let me share just a couple things that I noticed, and we'll be done here. A couple that popped out to me. First, it, it's in, you can put the verses up here, you can read the whole thing, but in verse 27, God says, I will put my spirit in you and move you. Isn't that great? I'm going to move you to follow my decrees and to keep my laws. And, and we've said this, but I, I have to say this every time I read the word law in the Old Testament, I've got to tell myself, it's not speed limits and stop signs. It's not rules of abstract... The word law in the Old Testament was the word for guidance or instruction. And it, thank you so much for, for pointing this out. That to life. It's guidance towards life. And God says, I'm going to put my spirit in you and I'm going to guide you to the, live the life you've always wanted to live. Isn't that a powerful gift? By the way, here's what I love. Why it popped for me as I read this and just studied early this week. What I love about this is God did not say, I'm going to promise to give you a stronger heart. Do you notice this? It's an important distinction. I'm not going to make your heart stronger. I'm not going to strengthen the hearts of your people. I'm not going to strengthen the spirit of your people. He says, I'm going to give you what? My spirit. <laughs> if anything, the ugly moments of our lives and disgraceful moments of our lives teach us, it is that I cannot do life on my own. And even if you make me stronger, I'm still going to mess it up. In fact, we tend to mess it up worse. Look at the most brilliant civilizations in human history. We tend to make bigger mistakes. Hear me, because you're going to hear this all the time. In school, in the world, if we could just give more education and money to the world, we'll solve the world's problems. Hogwash! God says it takes my spirit to fix the messes that you make. Isn't that a beautiful promise? I'm going to put my spirit in you, and I'm going to move you said it before, let me say it again. Christianity, it's not a religion, it's a way of life. But it's the only faith that offers you not just a way to live, but the power to live it. Hear me. Every religion in the world will tell you things you got to do. But the only thing that the Christian faith does is says, here's a way of life. By the way, it's a person, not a list of rules. And that person is going to give you his spirit to live his life. Increasingly, perfectly, not now but increasingly grow into it. What a gift. I'm going to put my spirit in you and I'm going to move you to live life. The second one, I'm including uh, part of a verse, put the next verse up there, 35 and 36. I'm including part of a verse I didn't read, but this just popped to me as I was studying this. So let me just share this quickly. I want you to think about how in the gift of the Holy Spirit, God transforms the people of God to go from disgracing the name of God to the people around them to inspiring the people around them. Notice this. 
God, by the power of God's Spirit, changes them from disgracing God's name and the people around them to inspiring the people around them. Listen to this. Uh, the word in verse 36 is they, but let me, let me add the words in that is helpful to you. The people passing by, these are the pagans around before they were profaning their name. The people passing by will say, this land that was laid waste has become like the Garden of Eden. Do you get the image? Imagine when they were taken into exile, the whole place got just devastated and ruined. It's like 9-11 aftermath, right? And the people, the pagans passed by said, oh, look at that, man. What a terrible place, and their God's not much. But listen, the people passing by will say, wow, what used to be this desolate wasteland. Hear this, not just as a nation. Hear it for your heart. Hear it for any brokenness in the world. What used to be a desolate, desolate wasteland will be the picture of paradise in the Garden of Eden. Again, listen to the rest of this language and, and apply it. Let the Lord apply it to your heart. The cities that were lying in ruins, has your life ever felt like this? Desolate and destroyed are now fortified and inhabited. What was hopeless and devastated now is full of life. Now listen, what's the effect on this? Then the nations around you that remain will know that the Lord, I the Lord, have rebuilt what was destroyed. You can't destroy it so much God can't fix it back. I, the Lord, have rebuilt what is destroyed and have replanted what was desolate. Then it says, I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. Wow! God promises to give the Lord's Spirit to God's people, watch this, so that the transformation of the people of God then becomes an inspiration to the world. The point of Christianity is not, oh, okay, I check off some boxes so I go to heaven when I die. The point is God takes wreckages like us and transforms us by the Lord's Spirit so that people around say, listen to me, wow, if God can do that with them, what could God do with us? Isn't that great? That was the intent. It's not come in church be perfect. No, come in and bring your brokenness. Receive the gift of the Spirit of God and be changed. And as you grow, other people will say, wow, if God can do that with you and with this group of people, wow, the Lord might be able to do that with me. What a gift. You put that last verse up. We won't read it, but just understand this is where Jesus ends that whole section we spent the semester, most of the semester in. Starting in John 13, he talked about the Holy Spirit, he talked about love. And then at the end, he prays this prayer, not just for the disciples then, but for you and me and all the people that would believe. And just skim through that, what he says is, my prayer is that you, God, are in me. We're together, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. My goal is to be in them. Now we know what that means, because for five chapters, what he's been saying. How is he in them? In the presence of his Holy Spirit. I'm going to be so in them that they'll be so one together. Listen, what's the point? Then the world will know that you sent me and that you've loved them. Listen, the point has always been that God changes the people of God slowly over time by the presence of the Spirit of God in such a way the rest of the world might say, wow, that's how God loves? Isn't that glorious? That's the promise. So I end with this. I remember one of my favorite moments in church my whole life, honestly, of all things, was a call to worship, believe it or not. Just a simple call to worship. It's that moment where you come in and welcome people, but then you make the move, usually through a song or through a scripture or something like that, to the move from going here to all of us going there and looking at the Lord. And in this particular time, we were getting ready for our Wednesday night service. I was still a campus minister at the time. We had hundreds of students like we do here, and our Wednesday night service was the big worship service. 
And I'd asked, we'll call him Craig. That's not his name, but we'll, we'll, we'll call him Craig. I asked Craig to do the call to worship. Now, Craig is a friend of mine I've got really close to in the years since, but uh, at the time, he'd, he'd only been with us several weeks. And Craig, by his own admission, was still a mess. Now, he had been through the worst part of his recovery, but he was overcoming drug addiction. And if anybody's gone through addiction, you know you're never recovered. You're always in recovery. But he had done the hard work of rehab, and, and he had gotten through the darkest moment, initial stages, and he's coming to a spiritual community for that side of the help. And he'd been there for a few weeks, and I said, hey, Craig, would you do the call to worship? Again, by his own admission, he was great and he was still a mess. And so it was kind of scary and it was fun. But he got up, he was funny and he was raw and he was real. And he got up and he said, you know, I just want to tell you that this God place is open to everybody. And you can tell he's winging it. He's looking on the front row and he looks down and sees our friend Sarah, who's quirky and weird and funny and crazy. And he said, I mean, look, Sarah's here. <laughs> Kid you not. He said, and if Sarah could be here, anybody can. <laughs> Fortunately, she laughed, and we all laughed. But then he went on to say this, and he said, look, you're like me. Like, they asked me to do a call to worship, and I love this. He said, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> but he said, here's what I do know. If they ask me to be a part of this, in this spiritual community, it tells me something about this God, that I can belong in this place, and so can you. My friends, that's exactly the promise of God's Holy Spirit. No matter how ugly your past has been, you belong. No matter the ugliness of your life, no matter how ugly your own projection of your potential in the future is, God says, you belong. And in fact, it doesn't matter if you've been on this faith journey for one day or for 90 years. We all know we never deserve this gift of belonging. And yet God says, you are my people. In fact, he says, here's the great gift. I'm even going to put my spirit in you to change and grow you in a such a way that the world around you will look and say, wow, if God can do that with them, what can he do with me? So here's what I want to do. I, I usually end with my own prayer. I just want to end with that last movement. Put that last slide up again. I'm just going to read this one more time and I'll give you 30 seconds just to rest in the presence of the Lord. Right? We've talked, it's enough words. Some of you don't believe that it's possible just to sit there unashamed and to be received by the Lord. I want just for 30 seconds for you to be loved by the God who died for you so that you could have his spirit. So it's just, I'm going to read it one more time and just sit and rest in the presence of God. God's promise, I will take you out of the nations, and I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities. I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your stubborn heart of stone and give you a responsive heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my ways. Then you will live. In the land I gave your ancestors, you will be my people, and I will be your God. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do it. Take 30 seconds. I'll bring us out in a moment, but just rest in the presence of the God who loves you.
For all this promise, God, we just want to say glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. The living, resurrected Christ and the Spirit of the living God who lives among us. We praise you now and forever. Amen. Please stand.